0: This podcast deals with themes of murder, drug use, and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. In December 1996, a week before Christmas, a group of teenagers, including myself, partied on a rocky outcrop overlooking the outskirts of Melbourne. People filtered in and out throughout the day as the afternoon gave way to dusk and in turn to sunset. Beers and bourbon flowed freely and from somewhere a CD player hummed away with Triple J squeaking through its tinny speakers. People who hadn't even been to Burke's Lookout knew it by reputation. It wasn't easy to find unless you had a rough idea where to look, and even then it required a trek through the bush to get there. So whatever you took in had to be carried. Beer drinkers that night were especially committed to their cause. During the night, most people made do just sitting on a rock or on the odd patch of grass near the track in. Everywhere else was too steep to stand on for too long. One or two of the boys thought ahead and carried eskies. These and the odd camping chair constituted all of the furniture there. At the time, other than girls, underage drinking and then legal drinking and partying, our other main hobby, I'm ashamed to say, was blowing stuff up. Sounds pretty terrible as I put it down on paper, but it's the truth. Somebody at school must have told someone about mixing chlorine and brake fluid, and it started from there. Now this was a chemistry experiment we could get behind. Before too long, somebody had nicked some brake fluid from their shed at home, and someone else got their hands on chlorine used from the swimming pool. I'm not going into what this can do, but it's not what you want teenagers mucking around with. This knowledge then resulted in a mini-reign of terror in the Yarra Valley. Letterboxes were blown up most Friday nights to the point that a local guy was soon in the paper promoting a vandal-free letterbox made out of thick steel. One of our mates even decked himself up in camo gear from the local disposals. This completed the package when he snuck out on little missions. All of this pent-up testosterone as young teenagers started us blowing things up. But at that stage, it hadn't entered the realm of illegal firearms, but was about to. For on this night... One of the silhouettes trudging up the track as the sun was setting bore an unfamiliar shape. Something behind them, something tall, about two metres long over their shoulder. At first I thought it was maybe a guitar, but it was too lean. As he hit the clearing, I can see it was made out of white PVC plumbing pipe. It was, as most on the hill were soon to learn, a potato cannon. A potato cannon... Lemon cannon, spud gun, whatever you want to call it, is classified as a Class E firearm in Victoria because it's highly lethal. You ram an entire potato down a 2m barrel made out of plastic pipe, then fill a chamber with whatever flammable stuff you have. According to Wikipedia, combustion powered guns comprise of a fuel system, a combustion chamber, an ignition source and a barrel. So in order to fire, the operator loads a projectile into the barrel, adds fuel, this could be aerosols, propane, hairspray, and then triggers the ignition source. The fuel then ignites, creates hot gases, and forces a projectile out of the barrel. Now when I say force it out of the barrel, I really mean that. Distances vary greatly on these factors, including the type of fuel, efficiency of of how it's built, things like that. But common distances can vary from 100 to 200 metres, and there's a reported case of a cannon exceeding half a kilometre in range. So you can imagine what it would do to a tree, or a fence, an animal, or a person. So of course, we didn't know these stats at the time, but you can imagine what a group of immature drunk teenagers had in mind on the edge of a cliff, pointing towards a major city. I'm still trying to piece the night together. This is hard. If you think about your own experience when you were 18, it was probably pretty similar. Every Friday and Saturday night offered a new potential adventure. If it wasn't an 18th birthday, it was a house party, or going clubbing, or sometimes going into the bush camping, which is what we did a lot of. So in the absence of any real evidence or memory that the party even took place, I've tried to build up a profile based on what I can find online. Thanks to Google, I've confirmed that sunset on Friday the 20th of December 1996 was 8:40 pm, and I'm assuming it was a hot night. It was summer obviously and a week before Christmas. More importantly though for our group, we just finished VCA a few weeks earlier and most of us just received our results. This was good for some, not so good for others. But either way, we as a group of friends were still that, a group. In time, as with most friendships I guess, we would go on to diverge in our life paths, with some taking on an apprenticeship, others getting a job, others going to uni. But at this time we were still very much a tight group. I don't know how many people were there that night overall, maybe 15? I knew most but not all. I know I was there before sunset and others arrived after. This was a location that wasn't necessarily set up for late night parties as it wasn't encouraged and still isn't. For a start there was not anything like seating or tables. This was a rocky outcrop on the side of a mountain with long drop offs everywhere. There were no toilets, no shelter and despite being adjacent to the biggest television transmission tower in Victoria, there was no lighting other than a faint buzz of a shed or something up the hill. However, there was a moon. I managed to do some research, again online, and I found the moon phase. On Friday the 20th of December 1996, the moon was 82% of the full moon. So that makes sense. That explains why we could see, but only enough to move around. The outcrop around Burks would have allowed enough light to see around a bit, but the track would have been very dodgy. And the fire tracks that led into the bush would have been suicidal. Even through filtered light falling through the trees. A lot of shenanigans can happen in that space between light and darkness. And that night it certainly did. Ten o'clock or so and things had really kicked off. A few people had found a friend for the night and the beers or whatever else were being steadily consumed. Earlier in that night someone had let off a few rounds of the cannon. The process of and priming it, and clearing the crowd even, to fire it, took time. And although this was made out of bits and pieces from the local hardware, make no mistake, it was a weapon. Most of the time, one of the boys aimed it towards Melbourne, but another time, he aimed it towards an old gum tree. It mutilated the branch the size of a human leg. As it fell to the ground, it was obvious that we needed to point this thing towards the city or the sky. Because if it hit a person, the impact would be dire. At around this time, the first punch-on for the night happened. I don't know what it was about. Normal teenage drama of some sort, but somebody was pinned down and then released to have a little bit of a calm down. I don't think that has any bearing on how this story plays out, though. It just illustrates that this group was not above the odd biffo when alcohol was included and honour needed to be protected. At somewhere between 1 and 3am, I staggered back down the track and climbed into my car to get a few hours sleep. I had my part-time job the next day, so I had to get a few hours in. It wasn't particularly comfortable, but it did the job, and I was soon out to it. I could hear the party back on the hill, but not enough to bother me. The music had transitioned from, whatever, Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins to some sort of a DJ house mix. Chances are it was probably one of the boys or girls up there aspiring to be a DJ and subjecting the party to one of their early attempts. Regardless of that, the constant hum... By the, by the odd happy shout floated across the hill, and by the time it passed through the window glass of my Holden Tirana, it was no more annoying than the wind rustling through the trees. I was soon out. A scream working. A scream that now pierced the silent night air. The scream that filled the hillside when there was nothing else to listen to. The party must have been over. The other three or so cars that had been near me were now long gone. I thought I was alone, but I wasn't. The first few seconds after being woken was spent working out where I was. As soon as I recognised the familiar dashboard of my car, I relaxed a bit, till my brain caught up. Why had I woken? I heard a scream. Who was it? Definitely female and familiar in some way. And what did she yell? A single word, screamed with an intensity that woke me up hundreds of metres away. That word was no. I woke up at about 8.30 to the reliable, bit, 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 my old Nokia 3310. Once I'd decided to sleep on the mountain the night before, I said it, I was good with that. I looked in the rearview mirror, probably looked at my bloodshot eyes and pasty skin and probably fell back into my sleeping bag. Then I remembered, something woke me last night. What was it? Oh fuck. I instantly remembered not just remembered but felt that scream all over again i really felt it all i can remember is that i was out of the car and i was legging it back up that track as fast as i could something bad had happened last night as i rounded the bend into the clearing where we'd had the party i realized there was nothing to see no people left nothing it was morning after all the place was empty and all things considered, it was actually pretty tidy. Except for something near the cliff edge. I hardly noticed it as it was green. Not dissimilar in colour to the leaves of the trees surrounding you. But this didn't belong here. It was a bag. A girl's bag. Country Road Duffel Bag. Pretty much standard issue for any 90s girl. Someone had left it. I recall walking over to it cautiously. Not because I didn't know what it was. Of course, I knew what it was. It was a perfectly innocent bag. That wasn't what was bothering me. It was its location. It was too close. Too close to the edge. No good reason that a bag should be sitting that close to a cliff edge. I knew it was most likely a girl's bag. Just like any others, except this one was a bit more worn than most. And it had a little toy bell on the tag. A bell. Bell, as in the shortening of Annabelle. As I said before, a bag to a teenage kid is just about a mandatory piece of clothing. Most of us could just about recognise each other's in the same way a group of friends backpacking can instantly recognise their friend's luggage as it rolls off the carousel. This was hers. But where was Annabelle? Police say the first 48 hours of any missing persons investigation are the most critical. I grabbed my Nokia and I sent out a few text messages. Can't remember exactly what I wrote, but it was to find out who Annabelle had left with that night. The link between the scream a few hours before and this bag was becoming clearer by the minute as I got a few bips back on my phone. It became pretty clear from my friends and those others that had responded to my message that nobody had taken her off the mountain or taken her home. In fact, the consensus was that she was one of the last people at the party. This was when I opened the bag. Normally I would never go through somebody's bag, but I felt it was justified. Amongst a few clothing items, I think some CDs, nothing too specific, I found a wallet, one of those Velcro rip curl jobs that everyone had in the 90s. And then I found it. A taser. You heard right, a taser. The thing that cops use to stop crazy people who won't obey an order. Something a member of the public has no legal or moral right to have in their possession. Something I rightly assumed the owner would get into a lot of trouble should the police find out about it. Nobody should have something like this in their possession, let alone a teenager at a party or of drunk stupid kids. I've already mentioned what we did with the potato cannon. But here's the twist. Here's what motivated what I did next. It wasn't her taser, it was mine. Like most Aussie kids, we all fondly remember our first cars. There were many quirks I loved about my 1975 Holden Tirana, which helped me love it so much. It didn't need a key to start. Years of wear had ground the barrel down to nothing, and a twist of it shocked the starter into action. didn't need keys to open it up either. Simply pushing down on a dry window provided enough friction to lower it, then you could just reach in and grab whatever you wanted. Any kid with the slightest interest in cars knew that Holdens of this age were easy to get into, if needed. Kingswoods, Toranas, and even early Commodores were just as fallible. And it wasn't uncommon for us to move our mate's cars just to mess with them. So that's how someone got into my car, parked well off the road in a secluded bush park, at the head of a walking track into Burkes. Whoever took it slipped it into Annabelle's bag for good measure so he could walk around all night without having it on his person. I just can't explain it any other way. Maybe whoever stole it confused whose bag it was in the dark. After all, every second girl in the 90s had a bag like this and there would have been a few up there that night. And how did I end up with a taser, you might ask? Long story, but I'd purchased it a month or so before off a friend of mine. He also should have known better. And where did he get it? I'm definitely not getting into that, other than to say it wasn't stolen, and it found its way to Australia with 49 of its friends in a package from China. They were then on sale to anyone with 100 bucks and an ability not to show it off. Without naming names, I can think of two other people in my friendship group that also bought one, but this was definitely mine. I wasn't stupid enough to write my name on it. Though I'm sure as you listen to this, you're probably thinking I was dopey enough to do that. Now, my one had its own distinguishing mark. I don't know anything about tasers or illegal weapons, but what I have learned is that through the process of buying dodgy, pirated goods, there isn't a great deal of quality control when you buy a knockoff from China. This one certainly looked the part, and it worked. What was funny about this one, though, is that one of them had a quirk. They were each housed in their own leather holster. These holsters looked awesome and made them look really impressive and official. And apparently all but a few of them were black leather. The last few were brown, and by the time my turn came around to get one, it was either take it or leave it. It was a brown case or nothing. I took a brown one, just like this. In fact, exactly like this. It was mine. I've been handling it and playing with it a lot since I got it, there's no question it was mine. It was in a bag belonging to a girl that nobody could account for. A bag i just spent the last few minutes going through, with, I assume, all of my DNA on over it.